0: This morning, though, we have four verses in the third chapter at the very end. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Chapter 3 and verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now... Lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and therefore live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he planted the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Let us pray. Gracious God. Three in one, one in three, eternally loving toward your elect, we pray that as we do gather your elect, that you would give us listening ears, believing hearts and understanding minds, that you by your spirit would uh, help us along as we hear your word, not just to hear, but to do. We pray that you would be glorified in all that is said this morning and for your glory. We pray. Amen. Please be seated. We come now to the final verses of the third chapter of the book of Genesis, and we do pray that it has been edifying and enlightening for all of you as we have traveled these now seven or eight months through the three chapters of the book of Genesis. The man and the woman have disobeyed the command of God to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God has declared his righteous judgment upon the sin of man. Satan shall be as the serpent is on the earth. He shall slither along the ground and eat dust all the days of his life until he returns or until he is ultimately destroyed by the skull crushing seed of the woman. The woman, she has been cursed with a multiplication of pain in childbearing. And with a sinful desire for her husband's place of authority in the union of marriage. Man has been cursed. Not only with a wife who will resist him. But with the ground that will also now resist him in spite of all of his hard work. The ground will produce thorns and thistles. The man will work hard. He will eat bread by the sweat of his brow. And he will barely get by. Food is secondary in this judgment from God, though. The man will no longer be able to earn for himself the reward of life through the obedience of the covenant of works. The creator's rest is no longer a goal that man can attain through his obedience. Man is disobeyed, and now the covenant is broken. With that said this morning, we now come to the final verses. And with the Lord's help... We will consider these final verses with just three points this morning. Number one, the faith of Adam. Number one, the faith of Adam. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. We briefly touched on this point last week, but I thought it was important to spend a a bit more time teasing out this verse And it's further implications when we read this passage, it is important, not just with this passage, but with all of scripture. It is important that we do not separate passages from their entire context. This context or the context of this passage in verse 20, it gives us insight. But it is connected to everything that we have just read. Concerning the curses upon Adam and the woman, the woman shall bring forth children in pain and often death will recur will occur for the woman and for the child. Strife, contention, animosity will be the norm in the union of marriage. The norm. Man shall work and for all of his work, the cursed ground will only give him thorns and thistles, dead fruit, if you will. Uneatable fruit, if you will, until the man himself returns to the ground from which he came. man is dust. And to dust he shall return. That's the context. Now, brothers and sisters, amidst all of this cursing, amidst all of this devastation, amidst all of this death, Adam names his wife life. Think about that amidst all of the death, all of the cursing, Adam finds somehow, some way, the wherewithal to name his wife. Life. Verse 20, the man calls his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Death is essentially closing in all around them. And these fallen creatures made in the image of God have broken the covenant of works somehow, some way the man finds a glimmer of hope in that he would have the audacity to name his wife life. Brothers and sisters, we must ask, where does Adam find the hope to name his wife the mother of all living, to name his wife life amidst all of the death and despair? Where does Adam find the the wherewithal to even think of the word life? Adam doesn't find it. Adam doesn't find anything. Just like you didn't find God. God found you. Let us be clear. This hope that Adam has, this idea of life is not something that Adam mustered up in and of himself. Adam did not go searching. This is not God's or Adam's work. This hope, this faith is given to Adam by God. And it is founded upon a promise from God. What promise? What hope? Verse 15. I will put enmity. Who will? God will. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The Lord God made a promise that he would send a deliverer. That skull-crushing seed of the woman would come through the woman and undo the curse of sin. He would resolve or dissolve the curse and ultimately restore man to himself. God would do this. This is God's work. God makes a promise that he will crush the power of the enemy. And what is Adam's response to the promise of God? It is a God-gifted response It could not be made without the grace of God to man. The Lord God graciously gives this fallen, rebellious man. Does he owe him anything? No, he doesn't. The Lord God gives this fallen, rebellious man who deserves nothing, who has earned nothing, who has broken the covenant. God graciously gives him faith to believe the promise that God has made. God gives Adam the very thing that God requires in order for one to be saved. Remember the covenant of grace. Remember the covenant of grace as our confession so biblically states in chapter 7. He freely offers unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ requiring of them faith in him that they may be saved. What does God require that we might be saved? Faith. And brothers and sisters, where will you get it? Will you get it by giving an offering? Will you get it by feeding the poor? Will you get it by clothing or or sheltering those who have no shelter? Where will you find faith, brothers and sisters? Where will you find it? You won't. It must be given to you. Which is why our, our confession goes on to biblically state, He, by His Holy Spirit, makes them willing and able to believe. God does this. The very thing that God requires is the very thing that God gives to man in order for them to be saved. To God be the glory. God has done this. The Lord God so ever irresistibly, as the doctrines of grace say, takes Adam's heart of stone. And it is a heart of stone. He has rebelled against God. He is a sinner and mercifully gives to him a heart of flesh so that he might believe the promise of God and thereby be saved. God has done this. This is God's work. What do we contribute to our salvation? What do we contribute to our redemption? All that we contribute is our sin. And nothing less. God has done this. It is the promise of the covenant of grace that Adam believes. It is the promise of the Messiah that Adam believes. He sees and understands. And and although he sees through a glass dimly. He understands through a glass dimly. But nevertheless, he has given eyes to see. He is given faith to believe. Adam has heard the gospel just as you have heard the gospel. It is the, the means, the God-ordained means by which man can be saved. And he has done what countless many have done from Adam until now. He has placed his faith in God by the grace of God. He he cast down all of his efforts. He he cast down all of his trophies. He cast down all of his golden crowns, and he clings to the promise of God that will be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam trusts in the promise of God. He has learned that when God makes a promise, God will make good on that promise. That when God makes a promise, it will surely come to pass. And, and, and know this, Adam does not yet know that he will have nothing to do with bringing that seed, that skull-crushing seed of the woman. He will have nothing to do with bringing that seed into the world. You hear that? He will have nothing to do with that. It won't be by his effort that that seed is born. When we come to the fourth chapter, which we will do in a few weeks, Adam and Eve bear a child. And it is their hope that this child is the rest giver, the serpent destroyer that God promised would come through Adam. But at, or that God promised would come, but Adam will have no part in that salvation. Adam will have no part in redeeming man from their sin. And Adam doesn't even know that yet. He knows one will come through the woman. And Adam may think at that particular time, and I'll have something to do with that. Adam, you will have nothing to do with This will be God's work and God's work alone. In the midst of death, Adam names his wife life. Number two, the covering of the Lord. The covering of the Lord. Verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. We come now to yet another verse. That is intended to cause us to to pause for reflection. Brothers and sisters, when you read verse 21, you are not simply to, to read this passage and conclude, that's wonderful. They're no longer naked. That's great. Now they have clothes. That's not the point of that passage. Why? Nakedness was never an issue. Do you know that? Nakedness has has never been the issue. Do you remember the Lord God's initial conversation with Adam after his rebellion? Chapter 3, the woman and the man have sinned against God. They are naked. And in order to cover their shame, they begin to sew fig leaves together in order to cover their shame, their nakedness. They hid themselves among the trees when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day or coming down in judgment. And when the Lord God asked Adam where he was and why he was hiding, what was Adam's response? Well, I was afraid. I hid because I was naked. And what is God's response? Who told you that you were naked? Nakedness has never been an issue before. Why? Why? Because nakedness is not sinful. We are sinful. That's the problem. Not our nakedness. We have sinned against God. And we may say, what, what is this we business? What do you keep saying we for? I didn't sin. Adam sinned. Yes, Adam did sin. And Adam stood also as a representative for all people. Or as Adam goes... So all of mankind goes, as Paul declared in Romans chapter five and verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 5:18: One trespass led to the condemnation of all. Romans 5:19, one man 's disobedience, we were made all sinners. Adam once stood, once stood as our covenant head. As our representative, as Adam goes, we all went and Adam went the way of disobedience. And we all along with him went in and fell into disobedience with him. But again, why is this first present? What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned against God? They, they covered themselves. What was the covering for? What were they trying to cover? Their sin. Adam and Eve were not trying not only to cover their nakedness, but their shame. Verse 7 says, then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. Man and woman attempted to cover their shame with their own efforts. Man and woman attempted to cover their sin, to cover their shame with material that would eventually and soon disintegrate and wither away. Fig leaves, foolish efforts, foolish efforts, hopeless efforts, efforts that were in vain. And that is what all of man's efforts to cover their own sin will eventually amount to. Folly. The whole of human history is men trying to clothe themselves in order to cover their sin. The clothing that man has used in vain to attempt to cover his shame has been as diverse as the colors of the sky. Man has tried to clothe himself. By giving to the poor. Man is trying to clothe himself. By building shelters for the homeless. Man has even tried to, believe it or not, clothe himself. By attending church and giving offerings. All why? All so that they might be bundled up with clothing after clothing. Thinking that with Enough clothing, they may be able to stand or withstand the judgment seat of God when they stand before him. Have I got enough clothing on? Have I done enough things in order to clothe myself from God's wrath? But the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 3, 6, flesh gives birth to flesh. All the efforts of the flesh will only amount to flesh. And brothers and sisters, isn't that what the unbelieving world finds so offensive about the gospel? Does it not keep burning coals on the heads of unbelievers when, when the world hears that all of our righteous deeds are filthy rags before God? When the world hears, as the apostle Paul says, that all of my righteousness, I count it as dung. Does not the world gnash their teeth? At the believer who says, in order to stand righteously before God, you must not clothe yourselves in your own works of self-righteousness, but clothe yourself in the righteousness of Christ alone. For salvation is found in no one else but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear one, the point of the passage is this. It is meant to be contrasted. It is meant to be compared and contrasted with verse 7. Verse 21 and verse 7, look, man is trying to clothe himself, and God sees his sin, and he is condemned. Verse 21, look, God has clothed man, and he has been forgiven and declared right with God. That is the contrast. But in order for this to happen, in order for one to be made right with God, a sacrifice must take place. An animal must be killed in order for uh, Adam and Eve to be clothed with skin. And as they are clothed by God through this sacrifice, they are now suitable to live a life before God. What is this? This is called a type. If you've been coming to this church any, with, for any length of time, you may have heard the word type. A type is something that gives us an image of a greater something or a greater reality that is to be fulfilled in Christ. It is an image. It is a picture pointing to something greater that will be fulfilled in Christ. And what is the image that we find here? What is the type that we find here? The greater reality. There is a covering. That man needs in order to be removed or in order for his sin to be removed. But that covering will only come at the expense of death. Man needs to be covered from his sin. In order for man to be covered from his sin, someone must die. One must die in order for us to be covered. God is not simply providing animal skins, but displaying for us that if you are ever going to be fit for standing before him, you must be clothed. Not with clothes that we have provided for ourselves, but with that that he has provided. And this is ultimately pointing to Christ and his sacrifice. The Bible says in Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult Or exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.27, As many of you were baptized into Christ, have been clothed in Christ. Man cannot clothe himself. It is God who clothes us. Only God provides what we need to be reconciled to Him. To be righteous before Him. Only God can do this. These skins are symbolic. They are symbolic of our need to be covered by God. To be fit for standing in His presence. The Apostle Paul said in Romans thirteen fourteen, Put on or clothe yourself. With the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. My father back in the day used to preach a sermon, who are you wearing? My father was a, a, a snappy dresser and knew all about all of the fashions. And in that sermon he would say, is it Donna Karen, Dolce Gabbana, Armani, or is it Christ?" Brothers and sisters, who are you wearing this morning? Are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Or are you clothed in your own self-righteousness that will eventually wither away and die? By God covering his creatures, he also approves the reality of their sin. They were sinful. They were rebels against God. They needed a covering. And the Lord God provided for them a more appropriate covering. Listen again. Not because nakedness is sinful. This is not the point. The point is this. Sin is now in the world. And there is now help. A covering to help our sin. You got that? Nakedness is not the problem. Sin is the problem. And now there is a covering to help us in our sin. What is the purpose of clothing? Clothing is a recognition that we are not what we once were. That impure thoughts, impure desires fill our minds now. And the Lord God has helped us with our sinfulness by clothing us. He is protecting us from ourselves. And before God sends his creatures out into the fallen world, he does not send them out clothed in garments of garments of fig leaves, but in skins of an animal. He is going to exile them. But as he does, and you must think of this, God is sending his creatures created in his image out of the the safety and the security of the Garden of Eden and sending them out into the fallen world. Into a world where now death is waiting at their doorstep. Where sin is crouching, as God will say to Cain, crouching, ready to pounce on them. God is sending them out. But he is not sending them out unclothed or unprepared. God is gracious to them. And what about you this morning? Are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Are you attempting to make garments by your own efforts that you might stand before God? Do you believe that there is something that you might be able to do in order to cover your own shame? Friend, there is nothing that you can do. There is not one act that you can do to cover your sin and to cover your shame. Let Christ take your sinfulness and clothe you with his righteousness then and only then can you stand before God third and finally adam and eve exiled from the garden verse 22 to 24 then the lord god said behold the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil and now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. What does that mean? What does that mean? Was the lie of the serpent true? Did Adam become like God? Did Adam achieve that for which he disobeyed God to attain? Because in this verse, it appears that God is acknowledging The man has become like one of us. Was it all true? No, brothers and sisters. May it never be that Satan is telling the truth and that God is the liar. So then, what is God saying when he says man has become like one of us? It has been said from the most respected of theologians, from John Chrysostom, St. Augustine, John Gill to John Calvin, that this statement is both a statement of sarcasm and one of compassion. That the statement is one of both sarcasm and compassion. The Lord God is saying the man and the woman were deceived into believing that they could be like one of us by their own free will. They took the bait they ate from the fruit of the tree that was forbidden by God. And now look what has become of man. Man has become like one of us. It may sound strange to even suggest that God is being sarcastic, but study the scriptures And you will find time and time again, the Lord God is throwing the sin of man back into the face of man. You thought. You believed. And this is what has become of you. And it is also a statement of deep compassion. For the person, the man made in God's image. Look what has become of the person made in our image. What great heights he has fallen by his desire to become like One of us. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. At this point, Moses uses strong language to describe to describe God's exiling of Adam and Eden from the garden. The prophet Moses says, God drove them out, or sent them out, drove them out of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve could no longer have access to the benefits of the Garden of Eden. To restrict them from even attempting to enter the Garden of Eden, the Lord God places a guardian cherub, an angel, and not just an angel, but a flaming sword. To guard every entrance of the Garden of Eden in order to prevent man from attempting to re enter the garden. What are they preventing Adam from enjoying? Was it the water of the garden? The security? The fruit? It was the tree of life. The Lord God drives Adam and Eve out of the garden in order to prevent them from enjoying the tree of life or partaking of the tree of life. What is the tree of life? It is that symbol of God's promise. It is a visual symbol, a visual reminder of God's promise. It is sacramental, if you will. If Adam would have obeyed, he would have been given the right to eat of the tree of life. Just as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a sacramental, a symbol sign of God's promise of death if you disobeyed. So the tree of life was a symbol, a sacramental promise of life if Adam would have obeyed. And now Adam is banned from the tree of life, which means he no longer has any chance of attaining that tree. Through his obedience. Why? Because he's disobeyed. The covenant of works. No longer works. The covenant of works has been broken. Therefore that, that 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 promise of life. That benefit. That reward. Is no longer available to Adam. And in order to guard man. From trying to partake of that tree. The Lord God places an angel. And a, a, a flaming sword around the garden of eden adam and no man if you as well adam and no man will ever be able to enter into the garden again they have been barred from life they have been barred from the reward that is offered to those who have who have obeyed the covenant of works it is no longer yours it does not belong to you. Why 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 can't you partake of it? Why can't you partake of it? Because Adam failed. He represented you. Therefore, when Adam failed, you failed. Therefore, since he's barred, you're barred. As Adam goes, you go. You got that? He was, and I keep saying was and once your representative. Adam is now a sinner. And if Adam attempts to sneak into the garden, imagine. If Adam attempts to sneak past the guard, what will happen to him? He will be chopped to pieces. Adam trying to attain the reward of life by his own efforts is no longer possible. And should he try, he will be destroyed. What will happen to man? Who attempts to say to God when he stands before him, Look at all that I have done. Look at all of my good works. Look at all of my wonderful efforts. What will be his fate when he stands before God? He will be destroyed. No man can stand before God and say, Look at me. Adam is now a sinner. And think about this, because Adam is a sinner, it is not beyond Adam to attempt to reach out to take of that which he has not earned. You with me? Adam is a sinner now, and it's, it, it, we should not put it past Adam that he would attempt or try to take, reach out for that which he has not earned. Which would have brought more judgment on his head? Can you imagine God sending out Adam, and Adam saying, "Okay, God, I'll go." Can you imagine the 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 greater judgment that would be upon Adam for even the attempt to partake of that which he has not Adam uh, that which is that which of that which he has not earned, if sinless Adam reached out and partook of that which God forbade, what would sinful Adam do if he had the chance? You hear that? If a sinless Adam would partake of the tree that God has forbidden, what would a sinful Adam do? We must not put it past him, and God did not either. God was sparing him. God was guarding Adam from himself. The way of the tree of life is barred. It is impossible for Adam to reach out his hand and gain life for himself. And let us be clear. It's not difficult. It's impossible. Not difficult. Impossible for man to gain life for himself. Adam and Eve are exiled from the Garden of Eden. They have truly fallen from a great height. And there is no going back. There's no one going back for me and you. There are no roadmaps that you can find throughout your scriptures. There are no maps that you can find in your Bibles that say, Let me see if I can find the Garden of Eden. It's nowhere to be found. It's not in Africa. It's not in Asia. It's nowhere. We don't don't say, hey, man began in you don't know where man began. And the Garden of Eden is, you don't know. No one knows. And it is no more. It is no more. How will you get back? You can't. What must you now do? All you can do is believe. All you can do is believe. Adam is exiled from the garden. Eve is exiled from the garden. But all is not lost. The Lord God has reconciled these fallen creatures to himself. By the the promise of the covenant of grace, God has not only made the promise, but he has also given the faith required to receive the promise. Adam and Eve are exiled. But they are saved. Because they have believed in the promise. And as they exit the Garden of Eden, they enter into cursed creation. They will endure all the pain of a fallen world. They will endure... All of the hurt and devastation that comes along with sin and a fallen creation. And all they can do is wait. For the promise of God to come to pass. And Christ. Did come. He came. He lived a perfect life of obedience. He died a sacrificial death. And rose from the dead. And now. We. Have a promise. And all we do now. Is wait. And as we wait. We make the gospel known. We make that promise. Which was fulfilled in Christ. Known to every nation tribe and tongue. We share the gospel. The good news as we wait. And it is what Adam did as he waited. As Adam waited, he began to point forward to one who would give them rest that he lost in the garden. When Noah is born, what is Noah's name? Rest giver. Where would someone come up with a name, rest giver, unless the gospel had been preached from Adam to Methuselah to Noah? Look forward to the one who will bring us rest. And we now wait. For the Christ who will one day break through the crowd. Through the clouds. We live now as as sojourners in this fallen world. And as we await a new creation. We long for the day. When our Savior will. Bring us to himself. And guess what? what is there when we are united to Christ? Guess what we will be able to enjoy? The tree of life. Why? How? Because we are no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. Adam is no longer our federal head. Adam is no longer our representative. We have been given a new representative, a new federal head. And as he goes, we go. So his death was our death. His life is our life. And his reward is our reward. And guess what he gives to us who have believed in him? He gives us the right to partake of the tree of life and live forever in Christ. What a wonderful joy that is to know that we are in Christ, new creatures. The old has gone. The new has come. To God be the glory. And what do we say at the end of this sermon? At the end of this series? What can we say? We say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, come. To God be the glory. Let us stand.